Noble Experiment by Robert P. Fitton. Episode 14, Long Live the Elders of Bull Rain. Disabled Mergendorf vessel, traveling at a fraction of its full capacity, was finally approaching the Jandian system. The perimeter, because of its overwhelming size, was almost non-existent. Glistening silver supports faded into the blackness of space, and the gold junctions appeared to hang in the dark as the vessels came closer. In the distance, tiny red trams could be seen moving like bugs along invisible supports, and centered inside the perimeter were the Janvian suns, glowing steadily in the darkness. Grack sat pensively at the point of the triangular table in the lower conference room. He gazed at the double star on the miniature window screen. Although the planets were invisible at that distance, his mind was nevertheless fixed on the fourth planet, Mergendorf. His thoughts, like all the planets around the binary stars, were winding on an erratic course. He was asking himself now why he had brought Brady aboard the vessel. Responsibility for the human's altered life was one factor, but the respect of the traditions of Valerian law was even more important to a perimeter dwarf like Grok. His crew members, having convened the meeting, came in the room and sat around the table. They stared at their tormented commander and were deeply suspicious of Brady's preferential treatment. Well, asked Grok as he looked up at them. The vessel's Edorf pusher spoke first. Commander, it is our opinion that the human should not have been brought on board at all. Grak locked his lips tightly before he spoke. I deem that necessary, Leisher. I am the one who gave the orders to pursue the Renegan vessel so many years ago. I am the one who ordered their human memories to be submerged. It is my fault that one of them was killed and the other mutated so he passed information down through his genetic structure. The human, Bill Brady, has suffered because of my actions. I am showing him a better life. It should be pointed out, said Paris. I feel it is my obligation as your friend and comrade to state the law. The laws are quite specific, Commander. Brady's presence aboard this vessel would constitute a secession of command, rank, and military privilege not only for yourself, but for all the officers aboard this vessel. The alien, in this case a human, would be brought to Valrhein for a disposition. That is why, demanded Grok as he stood and faced him, the elders must never know about Brady. Can't we see it's preferable for a human to mend his ways? That is why I ordered the transformation. That is why he has been under intensive training. I assure you he will never set foot beyond the perimeter. They do not have to know, he said, pausing for a brief time. We have orders to rendezvous at Station 62. The vessel will be refitted and supplied. In less than a month, we will leave for the Drever system. We will keep Brady hidden until that time. Commander, we will not be in the Drever system forever. Brady has a mind, Paris told him. A mind to be changed for the better. In time, he will never know his past. He will be one of us and live a preferable life compared to what he had on Earth, said Grok as he looked at each of their faces lastly gazed into Antovian's eyes. You have not voiced your opinion. You are my commander. It is my duty to follow your orders, stated the telepath. Ah, well, that's the attitude to take, said Grok as he rose. Now, if there are no more questions. Excuse me, commander, said the searcher. Station 62 confirms our arrival. The administrator, Dorf Gupston, is standing by to speak to you. 
Tell him I have other problems, said the guilt-ridden commander. He had violated the law repeatedly, doing what he thought was right. As he looked at the stares of his fellow officers, he tempered his thinking. Very well, searcher, put him on. Commander, heed the elders, said the dwarf in an official greeting. And long live the Valrain legacy, said Grok as he looked at the older dwarf who was showing signs of light orange in his blue hair. Dorf Gubston, this is Commander Grack. What can I do for you? I was just confirming some clearance for your vessel. You have been away a long time, Commander. Yes, and we will be moving out as soon as possible, said Grock. So I have been told. That is why we have prepared a dinner for you. Just a quiet atmosphere, you and your second-in-command. Ah, yes, said Grock, realizing it would be a distraction. We would be honored, Dorf Gubston. Excellent. Dinner will be served within the hour, Commander. We will see you then. Yes, of course, said Grok as the screen went blank and he stared at it. They all knew what was on his mind, and Paris spoke again. Commander, I speak for the officers assembled when I say we have the most unflinching loyalty to you and to your decisions. We thought it proper to discuss the human situation and advise you of the laws. However, we will respond without question to any orders you have to issue. Thank you, Paris, said Grok. I appreciate the vote of confidence. Now let us prepare to dine with Dorf Gubston and put this human out of our minds. Brady watched the shuttle ship leave for the planet. The computer processor had become his sole authority. Its deep echoing voice cracked through the air around his tortured mind, filling his head with what Grok called the truth. Hours and hours of drilling and food deprivation had left him weakened. His wrists and ankles were red, the remnants of an earlier struggle to escape the leather-like restraints. Time, taking its ever-draining effect on him, was made even more scathing by an overhanging needle pointing to the center of a disc. An incorrect response by Brady sent a brisk charge of electricity downward to his head, and each wrong answer increased the current. Five days had passed since the guards brought him back to the room. Even though he knew the processor did not speak the truth, he was beginning to weaken, and in order to survive, he elicited the responses it wanted to hear. You will explain why simplicity is the key to existence. Brady, sweating, looked upward toward the needle with a human determination in his Mergendorf eyes and began to think of an appropriate Mergendorf response. Existence is the very essence of the Dorfian mind and soul. It is the basic level which other ascending levels subsist. But existence without simplicity, the absence of complexity, and the ignorance of progress is not existence at all, he said as he paused and looked out the window and repeated the words he had memorized. It is excess. Progress produces excess. In thoughts, in food, in clothing, society itself becomes an excess. Excess is forbidden. And why is this? demanded the computer. It is forbidden because the elders say it will lead to a slicing of existence. Existence will be threatened by forces beyond the self. Existence will no longer be maintained. Without existence there can be no peace, no defense, no civility, no simplicity, no obedience, no truth. No truth, he repeated, raising his voice in a crescendo. No truth! Repeat. No truth! 
No truth, he screamed, more in defiance than the actual belief as the sweat stung his eyes. He let his head fall to the side and he closed his eyes in pain. A time period of 15 minutes will be granted to you. You will contemplate the law in silent meditation. 15 minutes. Son of a bitch, he mumbled under his breath. He looked up and squinted from the salt in his eyes. For an instant, the purple energy restraint around the doorway seemed to grow dim. Perhaps he was hallucinating. In front of the room, a singular figure appeared in the purple haze. Antovian could sense Brady's pain. With a waving motion, he looped a wire device through the air, producing a bright yellow light. He had cut the influence of the computer. Brady opened his eyes and smiled as his friend walked over and disconnected the restraints. Brady staggered to his feet, still in discomfort. Antonian, the computer, he said, rubbing the skin that had been irritated by the restraints. The computer is off. The stenosphere will keep it neutralized. We must hurry. They are waiting for us on the trams. Who is waiting? asked Brady as Antovian cut the energy restraint with the same loop. Who? He asked again as they ran into the corridor and passed three unconscious guards. I am talking about my contacts, said Antovian, answering Brady's question. Now let us hurry. Sorry about taking over the ship. It was an excessive, he said as he thought as they ran. He had used the word just as the computer had taught him. I mean, it was foolhardy. The past is inconsequential, Brady, said the dwarf as they stepped into the chute. Do not dwell on it. We have the future to contend with, and that is more than enough for me. Antobian had planned the escape from the vessel and had used his position as an officer to bring Brady onto Station 62 with no suspicion. They boarded a two-car tram and sped away from the station at enormous velocity. Brady lay down on a sofa inside the pale green car. I must apologize to you, Brady, said Antobian. But we had to leave the vessel and get aboard this tram. Are you feeling all right? Keep looking for that needle, said the fatigued Brady as he rubbed his eyes. I regret the procedures taken by the commander. They are only used in severe cases of disobedience. He was doing what he perceived to be the correct action. He didn't have to answer the computer. Call it excess or what you will. I'd just like to go back there and disassemble every circuit and stomp on the remains, he said as he thought. That is what I want to do. But the computer was not all that wrong. What do you mean, Brady? Carrying forth my thoughts would be an excess. Maybe if I had the chance, I would no longer carry out those thoughts. They're needless. Commendable. The law is not without redeeming value. It is the unyielding restrictions on the lives of the Mergendorf people which I object to. I'm not sure, said Brady, still thinking. I can think those thoughts and any thoughts, but I don't have to carry out the actions. I can use restraint, he observed as he looked to an Antobian. You don't know what it was like when I was on Earth. I carried out all my thoughts. I showed no restraint. And you think the past weeks have changed all that? I don't know. I don't know. I suppose I've changed, probably because I've been asking questions. Remember the law, Brady, but only as a reference. It may help your life. <laughs> my life? Obviously, you have something planned because my life is in shambles. 
Be assured we have already taken the first step back to your earth. My trusted friends are in a tram some distance ahead. They have a transportation device which will split us to the surface without detection. Split a dual beam. You see, our passages have been arranged by those who believe in the same freedom that we do. Freedom, freedom, repeated Brady. A wide open word, freedom to strive, freedom to live, freedom to destroy a world. That will not happen. We will meet the revered ones in a village in the northern regions, the village of Wawi. This will help us secure the road to Bahrain. These revered ones, if they are part of Bahrain, why would they bother to help us? They have been assured by my other contacts that we are villagers from Wawi, seeking counsel with the elders. Ha, the elders will be killed for sure. No, they will listen. As I have told you, there have been exceptions to the interpretation of the actual flowing of a history of the planet. You didn't tell me that. Antovian looked away, aware of his mistake. I want to give you false hope until my plans were actuated. Well, what are the exceptions? Extraordinary hearing centuries ago, a world that threatened to split the fabric of the galaxy itself. Then it is survival, isn't it? That's the key. They threaten the survival of the laws of Bahrain by threatening the galaxy. That is the exception, correct? Yes, there are others. Those who normally would not be prone to excess were driven out by forces out of their control. Heron three and Dasim six, you, Brady, must convince the elders that technological forces have overwhelmed your planet. And with the proper knowledge, you can repent that excess behavior. You see, an alien such as yourself has never argued before the elders. Vessel commanders and others have spoken for races, but never an alien alone. And just what is that record? You mentioned successes, but what about the failures? Brady, he said, putting his hand on the human shoulder. Speaking to the elders is your only hope at this point. If you can get me to Mergendorf, why not just get me a ship to Earth? Defenses would destroy it. You wouldn't stand a chance, replied Antobian. I have no choice other than trusting you, but I still question your motives, said Brady. Why would you risk all that you have? To save your world, of course. Ah, but there has to be more, said the doubting Brady, raising his index finger. As you say, Antobian, it's all inconsequential right now. Yes, we will be arriving at the next tram very soon. In the meantime, I can get you some food. Ah, good old Mergendorf food. Potent stuff. I've had better food at the food hop on Van Buren Street. Van Buren? Chicago, Antobian. Chicago. All of a sudden, it looks like paradise. Our food is that bad. Oh, no, it's just a little rich. At least it works. Yes, we could have dissimilar digestive systems observed Antovian as he went to get the food. After Brady had finished the meal, they moved in the front of the tram. As they looked out the observation deck, it seemed as if they were on a single spoke of the perimeter. It was so vast that they appeared to be right out in deep space, and it was only when the other tram came into view they gained some sense of perspective. The two trams locked, and Antovian and Brady crossed into the other car.
Javik, Javik, Methab, smiled Antovian as they came inside. The two dwarfs were dressed in brilliant gold robes with blue rope belts. Antovian put his hand on each of their respective shoulders. My friends, this is the human, Bill Brady. Gentlemen, smiled Brady. His reporter's instinct made him take notice of their every move and of the surroundings. Our hopes, our hopes are with you, Brady. We desire that you be successful with the elders. Brady was not looking at them. He was studying the two cone-like tunnels to the rear of the two doors. Is that the beam splitter? Yes, said Javik. You will be on the planet in less than ten minutes after you enter the cone. You will, of course, need villagers' clothing, said Metham. Metham walked over to a small table and picked up a suede-looking green suit, held together by rawhide threads down both sides. Here, even though you have the clothing, Antovian, you must be careful in your ways. The planet is much more strict. Respect the village life. A military defector would soon be noticed by the villagers. And... What does that defection warrant? asked Brady. Life, long servitude on a mining planet, answered Antovian. Not an enlightening prospect, said Brady. No, not indeed. Join us next week as a noble experiment by Robert P. Fitton continues. This has been a production of Fitton Theater of the Words.